Welcome to Biz Mafia, where business gets made. Join top bosses as they share their secrets on how they rose to the top, leaving their rivals sleeping with the fishes. You can only hear these unfiltered stories if you're part of the Biz Mafia family. And now, your very own Goodfellas, hosts Brian Taylor and Pat Linden. Welcome back to Biz Mafia, where business gets made. We're excited to interview Amanda Hoffman, co-founder and CEO of GoToMarket, a branded merchandise studio that focuses on sustainable, beautiful design that is fashion forward. They create custom print-on-demand swag shops for companies and brands of all sizes. Print-on-demand means no inventory, fulfillment, or high investment on the part of businesses. Before creating GoToMarket, Amanda founded and ran a popular networking group for women in their 20s and 30s in New York City called Urban Girl Squad. She sold that in 2014 before taking off a few years to focus on family and raising their children. Amanda, welcome to Biz Mafia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to talking to you both. Well, we're excited to learn more about you and in your journey. Speaking of which, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what ultimately led to go to market, which we understand is your second or third company you've either founded or co-founded. Is that right? That's right. It's really like my second and a half. It's third, (laughs) depending on whether you count my second company as like a real company or not. So I came to entrepreneurship. I had corporate jobs after I graduated college and just really was tremendously unfulfilled by them. Just felt like I was wearing an itchy sweater all day long really just not finding my path. And it took me many years of experimenting and trying different jobs and talking to everyone under the sun and informational interviews before I realized that having my own business was really the right thing for me. And I started Urban Girl Squad and just loved it so much. It just lit me up from within. And I worked on that business 24-7, 365 until I had my baby and then realized that I needed to take care of another human and run my business, which was like, you know, another human. It was like, I had two kids at once. And then I was like, no, I can keep doing this. And then when I was pregnant with my second, I realized that the way that I had structured my first company was just not conducive to any kind of work-life balance or family life. And I felt like it was time to move on anyway. So I sold that company I was home for a while and then I got the entrepreneur bug again after a few years. And I can talk about the little blip of a company that I started and stopped, but then I was really interested in starting another company. I learned about print on demand and realized that that technology is just so valuable to entrepreneurs, business owners, and businesses of all sizes It's been around for a while and yet people seem to not know about it or know how to use it or know how to implement it. And they're doing merchandise and swag in these really old, stodgy, expensive, environmentally unsustainable ways. And so with go-to-market, we're seeking to make it an efficient, easy, beautiful solution for businesses. That's great. I love your comments about the itchy sweater. Uh (laughs) And I want to dive into that a little bit more. But prior to doing so, did you have any family that were entrepreneurs or anyone you looked up to that was an entrepreneur that eventually you got that itch to try it on your own? 
Yes, actually. You know, my dad always hoped to start his own business. My brother has been operating independently for quite some time. One of my best friends from college, but it didn't ever seem like something I could do because they were doing it in this totally different way. They were doing it in the context of finance. And I'm like, well, I don't want to be in finance. And can I ever really do it and leave the security of a corporate job? But like, eventually it just got too uncomfortable to stay where I was. Like, it was just, I just felt like I was early in my career and didn't see anyone in the companies where I worked who I wanted to be like. Like, so, Amanda, why is that? Why wasn't I admiring yeah, them? But what, what you said, you mentioned you were unhappy and you didn't see, you weren't happy with corporate life. So what were the reasons? I really, I've realized this, like I super duper hate being told what to do. I just, it's- Micromanaged a bit. The thing is like, I was also really bored in my jobs. Like I liked the work, but I didn't have enough work to fill out my day. So especially in entry-level jobs, I was coming from like, rigorous undergrad work where I had like done my thesis and I presented it and I won all these awards and then you graduate and they're like, you can do anything. You're so powerful. You're so smart. And then you arrive at a job and they're like, I guess, are you smart enough to file? Like, do you know about the alphabet? And it's, it's like, are you kidding me? Like I just was doing regressions. Like, what are we talking about here? So I didn't have enough work and I was like finding myself needing to look busy because I had to sit at my desk. I know that work has changed dramatically now with like work from home. But at the time it was like, I had to be there from nine until six, but I only had work from like, like three hours or maybe four hours of work. So I was like reading blogs and just like wilting like a dying flower at my desk and like asking people for more work while also not trying to ask for so much work that it was clear that I didn't have enough to do because I didn't want to get fired. And I just found myself in that position again and again. And I'm like, why am I sitting at this desk pretending to look busy when I could be spending time with my friends and my family and working out like fitness is a huge passion of mine. So just sitting for that long period was difficult for me. And I just like, it was, it was the box around the work that felt so stifling, not the work itself. Like I love working hard. So that was never the issue. So then at what point did you get that? itch? Did you, did it first come in the form of a side hustle that then just continued to grow during your off hours? Yes. Yes. And no, I had many side hustles that were not side hustles that were like, they were more like hobbies that I Mm -hmm. kind of put my all into. And one of them actually where urban girl spot came out of is that I was running a knitting group for my friends. Like it was a business. So I was like, organizing it and, and just getting really involved. And that was just, that fed me. Right. And then I was like, well, maybe I want to work in events, but no one would hire me for events because I was a business analyst. And they were like, what the hell we want to hire someone with like events experience. And so it was like, if the only way I'm going to get to work in events is if I make my own events. And even then I wasn't thinking about it as like, this is going to be my career path. I just, sort of started doing it. And then I just took the leap to say like, here, this has a name and this is a thing that I'm running. And it was like very much like one foot in front of the other sort of thing. I never came out with a business plan in the beginning and said, this is what I'm going to do. So when did you quit the day job and just focus solely? And it was, by the way, was this urban girl squad or is this a different? This was urban girl squad. Okay. I, when did I do that? I had been running 
Urban Girl Squad from my desk for almost a year while I was working working a corporate job. And remember, I was easily able to get all of my work done because still, even like years into my career, I just like didn't have enough work during the day. And I was still sitting at a desk. So like there was that. And also, you know, I was married at the time. I'm still married. <laughs> so I had benefits and security from another person, which certainly made it easier. I think if I were on my own, that would have been like a much more difficult decision. And I was really coming home from work every day saying, I hate my job and I hate this. I was like, you know, a lamp whose light was off. And so it became clear that like, that this was the path that I needed to take. And it was a risk for me and my husband to just be like, okay, we're leaving this like extremely steady paycheck. And I was working for Columbia University at the time. So it was like tremendous benefits and just saying, okay, we're going to try this other thing. And luckily it worked out, but I mean, I worked around the clock to make sure that it did. I just like literally like a fire was under me. <laughs> and so was it just yourself or did you take on any additional employees? I guess Over time, yeah, I hired a bunch of people, but initially it was just me and whoever else would, you know, volunteer to help me. So when you you took some time off after you sold Urban Girl or Urban, Urban Girl Squad. Yeah. Urban Girl Squad. Yeah. Urban Girl Squad. So, what is it about the the merchandising business that you saw that you like? Take us through that. Sure. I realized looking back that I've always been really excited about branded merchandise and finding mementos from things, right? Like I've never left a gift shop without buying something. You know how like a ride will just be like, and here's the gift shop. I'm always like, ooh, and like touching everything in there. You know, if if my name is on a keychain, like I own that keychain now. Luckily my name is easy to find. <laughs> or unluckily, I guess you could say. And it was really like I love talking to entrepreneurs. Like when I was running my first business, I took meetings all the time with other entrepreneurs, either like I was being mentored or I was mentoring others and that like collaboration and brainstorming and, you know, kind of like what we're doing now being with other people in this space really lit me up. And I loved that. So when I learned about print on demand, I realized that I could create an audience out of other entrepreneurs and, you know, people in smaller companies and help them like really help them do better in their business and take something that's a pain point and turn it into a joy point, right? Like merchandise and swag is fun, but it's not fun when you have like minimums and poor quality and it's expensive and it's annoying and it's time consuming. And like your boss is making you design something, but you're not a designer. Like there's a lot of parts of it that suck for people. And so we're turning it into this like fun, easy experience. That's awesome. So one of the things that I noticed in some, I think it was another interview that you did, but you mentioned the low cost <laughs> keychain, right? And I'm a, I'm one of those suckers, right? My, my wife's always like, you don't, you don't need another keychain from- Or license plate with your name on it. <laughs> from Breckenridge or whatever it is. I, I got a chuckle you out of that. And so. you don't, right? Yeah. <laughs> And Brian and I, as an example, this show, Biz Mafia, we've talked about swag and the right leave behinds. And I've seen some clients that they give you leave behinds that are awesome. And other ones I'm sure like promptly get deposited in the trash. What's, 
what's the psychology about that so that you don't you don't give somebody something that backfires on you and that's really going to help drive your business let's let's get in your mindset on that sure well it's interesting that you call it a leave behind and that's actually not something i've heard in many years but it encapsulates it perfectly because it is trash it is something that you leave behind and Whenever I I come across people all the time who are like I have X budget and I want and I'm going to be in front of you know X hundred people or they want something to drop into like a big gift bag, and I really advise people against that. And it's because the merchandise that you're printing should be relationship building, right? Like it should be a reflection of your brand and it should move forward the relationship between you and the person who's getting it. And a pencil a keychain, a stress ball, and I'm going to put a tote bag in there are not relationship building. They're just not, especially if it's just a logo. Like it just doesn't say anything. It doesn't mean anything. So one thing that I'm on a soapbox all the time about is that your merchandise should reflect your message. It should reflect your brand. It's not just a logo. Unless you're a Peloton or Nike, your logo is not going to cut it, right? Like I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now that says merch mentor, right? So like anyone who sees me in this, it's like this hat, this is a, a message that has personality. It has energy. It says something about me. Even if you just see a still of this interview, right? If this just was a sweatshirt that said, go to market, it would be, maybe it would look cool, but like it wouldn't mean anything. Right. And if I were to give somebody something that said, go to market on it, they might like appreciate it, but ultimately it's a piece of trash, right? Because it's not communicating my value. So I'd much rather people give gifts to like give higher quality, meaningful gifts to a smaller group of people than try to put a pencil in a thousand gift bags. It's like just you're wasting everyone's time and money and resources when you're dropping a pencil or a pen into something, into a gift bag. And again, like I'm involved in a lot of networking groups. I see this all the time where people are like, I have an event, add something to my gift bag. And it's like, if you have a product-based business and you're putting your product in there, that's a different sort of thing. But if you're a consulting company or a coach and you're putting a branded pencil, cause that's what you can afford. Cause you need to buy a thousand of them. It's just, it's a distraction. It's a waste. So how do you how do you educate people on what is not a waste and what what are the right things to to invest in and give away? Sure. So what we advocate companies do is create a custom print on demand merchandise store. And what you do is you create a set of designs on merchandise that exists online and is vibrant and reflects your brand and is really cool. And then you hand out gift cards to your store instead of handing out actual swag. Right. So you're not handing out everyone a Gildan t-shirt that's like a random size and like maybe a color that people won't wear. You're giving them money to your store and then they go and they can log on and say, oh, I really like that water bottle or I really like that mug or I really like that hoodie or you know what? I don't like any of this and I'm not going to buy it. And then you're not spending for it to be printed and they're not getting something that they don't want. Now, there are a lot of people who are like, no, you need to hand something to everyone. And to that, I say, yeah, give them a gift card. And then you might say, well, I can't afford to give everybody $20. And it's like, yeah, not everyone's going to go on your site, but the people who are and who are going to take the time to buy something, quote unquote, buy it, it's free, but like 
put in their shipping information and then receive it and get it, you're extending your the lifetime of your touch points with them, right? Because they're going on your site. First of all, you're getting their contact information. You're creating like it's lead generation in the best way. Like they're saying they're walking into your store and saying, I'm interested in what this is. There's a lot there. And it's interesting to me is you went into a, a business that's traditionally transactional and you were very thoughtful about, Hey, this, this transactional stuff doesn't necessarily work. I want to be more thoughtful about improving people's brand and reach because customer service and relationship building really is at the forefront of many organizations who are trying to get the leads in, right? There's this evolution of sales that's occurred. And what you've done and what I find really interesting is you went from going to this transactional business and saying, no, 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 I need to be more thoughtful about it. Where were you inspired to do this? I mean, was it day one, you knew exactly what you were set to do? Or was it by like month six where you said, you know what, I'm seeing something here. I'm going to investigate this and maybe pursue it in a different manner. It's a little bit of a hybrid. So I was drawn to start this business because of print on demand. And when I was running Urban Girl Squad, I remember I had events, you know, three times a week. We were doing 150 events a year. And I had a staff who were running the events. And I one time bought everyone t-shirts. And it was a freaking nightmare, right? Like I and I just managing the sizes and the distribution. And then if a new staff person come on, how do I get them to them? And I live in New York City. I don't have a garage that I can like put these in. So it was like under my bed and like in my bathroom and just wherever. And I wanted to print more stuff, but I was always running up against like minimums and distribution and just never worked out. So I didn't do it. And when I learned about print on demand, I was like, oh man, like that would have been amazing. Not just for me, but for all the businesses that I interacted with who don't want to manage inventory and don't want to have too much of stuff. So like the instinct was there, but the way that I'm talking about it now in terms of like this whole philosophy around exchange of goods and building the relationship that came as I immersed myself in this and saw just like what companies are doing right and what companies are doing wrong. Like if you go to an expo, it's like pretty classic example of what companies are doing wrong. Like they're just handing out tons of stuff and recipients are going from table to table to table to table and getting all of that stuff. And at the end of the day, they look in the bag and they're like, oh, I have six light up keychains, four door openers. And it's like, what do you do with all that stuff? Like it was fun for a minute while you got it. And like, maybe you give some things. What'd you say? Like Halloween, you know, yeah. <laughs> just going around. Except Halloween is more fun because you can yeah. like snatch that candy and like do anything with it. This you're like faced with a pile of things that you feel bad about throwing away. And you like, I've seen people be like, Ooh, this is for my mom. And this is for my aunt. And this is for my kid. And it's like, okay, but like, that's not, it's not really doing what it was intended to do. Right. Like if I take a light up pen and I give it to my son, my son is not going to be like, man, when I grow up, I want to use this insurance company. It's like, that's not it. So let's be smarter. So you co-founded this company, right? Yes. Yeah. So it means you have a partner. Tell us about your partner. I love my business partner. She was my designer on Urban Girl Squad. And so she is one of the most talented designers I've ever worked with. She designed the logo and all the assets for Urban Girl Squad and for the second company that I keep alluding to that I started and immediately ditched. 
and obviously all the assets for Urban Girl Squad and everything that we design for our clients. And she has kids the same age as my kids. And it's funny because she, so I'm in New York. When I worked with her before, she was in San Francisco. Now she's in New Jersey, but we still, we talk every day, all day, but we still like rarely actually see each other, but our values are very aligned and our skill sets are completely different. So whereas I could talk to you guys all day and like, I love, you know, I'm very extroverted. I love sales calls. I love relationships with people. I could really have meetings all day long. She's like, would rather, I don't know, clean toilets all day than like do the kind of work that I do. And I have nowhere near the skill set to do the work that she does. So it's, it works out really well. Cause when a task comes up, it's very clear who's going to do it. And again, like I feel very lucky that we have such similar values. And so it's, it's going really well. And I didn't have a business partner for urban girl squad. And so I just value so much that it's not all on my shoulders. And not all business partnerships are, are you're not going to be aligned. Right. And, and what's interesting is, so your values were there. Was the vision there as well? Is that, is that what's the secret sauce to a successful relationship from the very beginning but also all the way through this journey. Sure. So I, I think the vision was mine. And I went to Jesse and I said, what do you think about this? And she said, yes. But that's, again, like our different skill sets. Like I want to do the strategy. I want to be the vision of the business. And, you know, she's the one who's doing all of the artistic expression of the business. The secret sauce is that is mostly luck and like opportunity and being in the right place at the right time, right? Like it's very much like getting married. You know, I, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to meet your spouse, but like, you just need one that works for you and you need a little bit of luck and you need to be able to work and all of that sort of thing. And I had, you know, when I was first working with Jesse, I didn't have in my mind, like, Ooh, she's going to be my business partner one day. I think if you would ask me who should my business partner be, especially for my first company, I would have picked someone just like me. And that would have been a disaster because both of us want to do the sales calls and neither of us wants to do the finances. So that's a problem that I see come up with other people that they go into business with their friend and then they both have the same interests and the same dislikes. So I, I honestly, I just feel, I feel really lucky. And I think that of course there was a bit of skill and, you know, identifying who would be a good partner in this business, but like, certainly she and I are happened to be in the same place in our lives. And a lot of the same, you know, of the markers that would make us a good match for each other. Yeah. It's interesting. I think the values and the difference in skill sets is really important. Everything you're saying is kind of like textbook what does work out in partnerships yeah. because i think in most and like you you went to columbia correct i went to barnard but yes okay barnard okay so like you said you 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 know you're extroverted you like to do sales calls and i think that was probably really impactful that you have somebody that's got a different skill set i know i've i've had those situations with partners that are the same and that it just doesn't work, right? Like oftentimes you have somebody who's good with finance, somebody who's good with marketing. And then the values, I think, is probably the most important part where it sounds like you really connect as well. Because if you're not, you don't have the same values, it doesn't really matter what your skill sets are. It's not going to work, right? So have you ever had, you've ever had a bad partnership? And it, and it could be not necessarily business partner, but you know, bad relationships with vendors. And, and if you have, like, what's the difference? And 
how do you navigate that and uh, find the right partners in the marketplace? Well, that's interesting. I had a lot of that with my first company, less so now. You know, I think that I personally run into a lot of trouble because I'm really optimistic. Like I'm really optimistic. So sometimes a potential client will come to me and it's like, you know, here are some potential pitfalls of us working together. And I'm like, we can do it. We can work it out. And sometimes it's like, okay, all the warning signs are there and I overlooked them. I don't want to say on purpose, but somewhere between like ignorance and on purpose. And that's gotten us into trouble because then like we'll be on like a in a partnership that's like not a good fit for us because I was like really eager to like close the deal or make it work. And I ran into that a ton more with Urban Girl Squad because I was less confident. And so I would make deals that weren't with the right people or weren't in the right thing. And also like I was dealing with events and like club owners and bar owners who are like notoriously like drugged up, unreliable would just like not show up. And so like that made me really stressed out and frantic. Like that did not bring out my best self where I was like, could you please sign this contract? And also with an events business, like everything's on fire all the time. It's just everything is urgent, which is another reason it is not a family compatible business, right? It's just like, everything's time sensitive. Everything needs to happen now. There's a very clear deadline and like the event is going to happen or not happen because of it. So like that stress also led me to make some bad decisions with regard to partners and people I worked with and sometimes people I hired. And I would find myself in these situations where I'm like, oh man, like how did I get here? (laughs) And I'm doing that a lot less now because I feel like I, I'm just, I'm generally a more confident person. I also have Jesse as a sounding board. If I'm ever not sure to be like, Hey, this feels weird. And she might be like, yes, that does feel weird. And then I feel more confident being like, okay, I'm not going to take on this client or I'm not going to make that decision. So yeah, confidence. And then the nature of this industry is that it's much less on fire. So there's less urgency. I can take time with something. And if it feels fishy, like sort of give it a little bit of time to tease itself out and, and be like, you know, eventually the truth is going to come out. Like, is it a good partnership or a bad one? And in my first business, there was never the time to figure that out. And so I was kind of like, you know, jump, then look, and, uh, what is it? Shoot, aim, ready, aim, shoot, ready, shoot, aim. Yeah. <laughs> we we get the point. Yeah. yeah it's so, yeah. something around there. So that what is your with this experience behind you and kind of the ups and downs, what now is your perspective on risk taking when you analyze what's a good risk, what's not worth taking? What's your process with that? So yeah, I don't take a lot of risks with either any of my businesses. And actually that's why I didn't start the second one. And I, I, I'll just talk about, I feel like it's like this big secret. I'm not saying what it was. It was, I developed a children's toy that I was really excited about. And I had like, so I took a sewing class, like I learned how to sew and I developed these prototypes. And then I hired a professional person to sew the prototype. And I looked into fabrics and all of these things. And then I reached this point where I realized I, to take the next step, I'd have to start manufacturing in China. I'd have to start manufacturing at scale. I'd have to put in many thousands of dollars and urban girl squad and go to market have been bootstrapped. They've always been profitable and like 
profitable from the start, even if it's just like buy a few hundred dollars, buy a few thousand dollars. So I then, you know, I'm always taking very small steps. It's like, okay, that worked. Now I can do this next baby step that worked. Now I can do the next baby step that worked. Then I, and it's like very much increasing bit by bit. Part of that is just my person. I think a lot of that is just my personality. And the other piece of that is what I'm looking to get out of this, right? Like I love being an entrepreneur. I'm not here for an exit and like a huge chop. Like I love doing this work. I want to continue doing this work. I want to make as much money as I can doing this work. But ultimately, I want to do the work and Jesse wants to do the work. So we want to build the strongest reputation that we can. We want to have solid relationships. You know, one of the things that made me feel so good when I was starting this company is that I reached out to some of my contacts from Urban Girl Squad and it had been like seven, eight years. And I was like, oh man, I'm like starting all over. And when I reached out, like all of those relationships were still strong. And it's because I had put, I went in this way where it was like one step, then the other, no huge jumps. It makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you're fulfilled too, right? We talked about that earlier. You were in these corporate jobs and it just depleted your energy. And so you're fulfilled, you're enjoying what you do. So why, why get off the ride? You know, you made a point earlier, and I think it's something that I've personally seen in my career. I know others have seen it in their careers, especially when you're starting out, you're trying to make everything work, whether it's the squeaky wheel of a client or a partner that's not a two-way street. I mean, I have countless stories myself of taking on clients, you know, almost like the, I can save them. I can make this work, right? Mentality. And only to find it was a bigger stress to me, the business and to others than if I just passed on it, right? But that's experience that you're dealing with in your youth. And so now you're applying it, you fast forward and you're applying what you've learned today. What I'm interested in as well is just as you're applying this, as you're growing the business, what's the first hire look like? When does that person come? Is there a certain revenue figure that you hit first? And when did you say to yourself and your partner, hey, I think we really have something here because we're gaining momentum. We've got our first hire. Walk us through that portion of the journey. Yeah. So again, it's it's all been like slow and steady, right? Like, so we had a VA who was helping us with like little things. And then we started trusting that person a little bit more. And then that person didn't work out. And now we're on our third VA. And this VA, I can imagine being a higher, like a, a more serious, we keep giving her more and more and more and more work. And so I think that is going to be a bridge in this, like we're in this growth stage where we need to figure out like, okay, what tasks do we want to hold on to? And this is something I talk to Jesse about a lot, especially since I'm the one doing business strategy and development and hiring. It's like, what is your dream setup? Like what, if you could do only like three tasks, what would those tasks be? And which, what can we take everything else and hand it off to someone else? So that's sort of where we are now. I've been doing that more and more. So our VA took on a lot of our social media, which is freeing up a lot of my time and energy. So like, I'm still recording things, but like, I just went on vacation in July and I was away for 10 days and I recorded all these reels ahead of time. And, you know, I usually take the time to like 
edit and research and like put the text on them. And these things take hours and I would do it myself. And then I'd write a caption. Then I would send all that to her and then she would post it. And this time I was like, here's the raw video. Good luck. And, um, (laughs) and she did it. And it's one of these things of like, oh my God, like I am not the only person who can do that. And I'm, and I'm really in that phase of you know, we've started inviting her on all of our client meetings and I'm taking notes during the client meeting. And just yesterday I was like, oh, she should take notes during the client meeting. Okay. So then I talked to her after that and I was like, you're going to start taking notes. And then I was like, she could make the prep document. It's like, so I'm again in this, I like to take slow, steady steps, like no huge changes so that I can feel comfortable and confident and not like, I'm going to betray our clients or like start delivering a bad service. So like my dream would be to have like a number of staff people so that I can be doing the top level sales and can be doing like thought leadership and can still be leading the company. Jesse, I think always will want to do the design, but you know, she spends a lot of time on design changes, right? So like we go back and forth and they're like, can I see it in blue? actually, can I see it in pink? You know what? Can we go back to blue? And it's like, okay, there's a world in which she does the initial design and there's an assistant who's like doing all of the other stuff. And then, you know, multiply that many times over to this, to the scaling. So, you know, that's, I don't have it figured out, but that's my intention for this that's year. That's interesting because there's something there, right, Pat? And we talked about sure. this before is where it's, I don't want to call it a new way of doing business, but there's a thousand ways to slice it as far as how you're hiring employees, right? And by employees, I mean, they could be virtual assistants, contractors, mm-hmm. partners. So is your dream and your focus saying, look, I don't necessarily need to have a number of W-2s, but I can have this assorted group of you know VAs, assistants, and everything else to scale the business. And then again, find where you're wasting more of your time and you should be focused on the sales and bigger vision. Talk to me about a little bit more about how you envision that team and how it's going to look and evolve throughout the years as you scale and as you continue to scale. Yeah. So I, the answer is I don't have a clear vision now, but I will tell you that I'm not aiming to have the kind of team that would be so big that it would be stressful to run. And this goes back to like, you know, you said before that it's like, I'm fulfilled. And it's like, yeah, I'm fulfilled. And I think Jesse is fulfilled too. And that is because we're living the exact work-life balance that we want. And that means that I'm working really hard while my kids are in school and while my kids are in camp. And then when they're home, I can actually be with them. Like I can look at them and I can put my phone down and like, yeah, I might have to run and take a call here and there, but I'm not like, I don't have busy mind. Like I'm able to actually focus and be with them. And I don't want to be, you know, I think all the time of like the parable of like the business, have you, I'm sure you guys have heard the story of like the, the lady running the taco stand on the beach in Hawaii. And then like, it's really delicious. There's a line all over the place. And, and this businessman comes up to her and says, well, why don't you get a second sand? And she was like, why? And he says, because then you can like expand to other islands. She says, why? And it's like, well, so that I, so that you can, you know, then go so, to the mainland. So, so she can go, she, she can go public so that then she can go sit on so the that beach. Then she can go back <laughs> right. to eat, running her one taco stand. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right. So like, I don't want to be that businessman who's like, well, are you going to go bigger and bigger and bigger? It's like, I'm going to go bigger to the extent that like, I want to be doing, my dream is to be doing the exact type of work that I want to do and get paid well for it and still have, be able to put it down at the end of the day. And like, be with my family and kids and not you know, be all stressed that's out. That's such an important point. I think I think that makes so much sense. And I, I wrestle with exactly this all the time. And uh, I don't have it figured out. And I, I, I don't know when I will have it figured out. But there's this kind of, you realize there's a kind of diminishing returns at some point of completely killing yourself. And we're Americans, which America's in a crazy time. But the point being is, is that we're all fairly blessed in the scheme of things. And, and it's like, I remember a mentor once telling me like, at what point does the steak, you know, you can only eat a steak that's so big, right? So I think, I think what you're saying just really, I hope resonates with a lot of people that entrepreneurship doesn't have to be this next thing to build, to go public, but it's really just finding, you know, working for yourself and what you're passionate about and being able to raise your kids, have a family life. That's really cool. And with that, you have, I have two children of my own well, right? And the best advice I think I've given, because when you first have kids, everyone's trying to give you advice. But the best Mm -hmm. advice I was given was to enjoy every day, even the bad ones, because they won't last long and you're going to blank and the kids will be out. And so you really need to be engaged in a part of their lives. When you had your first child, did that essentially change your mindset in a way to say, you know what, there's more to life than just kind of this work thing? And I want the best of both worlds. Was it the introduction of children that changed that mindset or was it something else? I knew always that once I had my kids, I was going to want to give them my full attention. That's a vision that I've had forever, right? I think it was just the practical application. Actually, I go and going back to the very beginning of our conversation, I think my biggest fear when I was in my corporate job and I just couldn't find my path and wasn't happy was that I would not find my path before I had kids. And then I knew that I would never choose a job that I hated over being with my kids if I could afford it. Right. Like there was, that was, and then it was like, I I didn't think I would ever find my way back. So it was always important for me to find something that I was passionate about. But I think what I tried to do in this in the two year span between when my daughter was born and when my son was born when I sold the company was maybe there's room for both. So like every moment that she was sleeping, I was working like a maniac. And then when she was awake, I was with her, but I was also like, you know, nervously checking my phone. And so when I designed this business, I designed it in a way that it wouldn't be like that, right? Like so the, the work, like going into it, the work-life balance was really important. And again, that's where it comes with values, right? Like Jesse and I have kids the same age. It's almost the end of August. And I had to say, I, I, you know, just checked with her. It's like, okay, when are your kids going back to school? When are my kids going back to school? Okay. We're not working the first week in September. Good, cool, done. Like there's just no, it's not, you know, and look, we both work really hard. We're going to take all that time. We're going to squeeze it in whenever we can. Like this week, my husband's been away. So like when my son goes to bed, I just take an hour and a half and I work from nine 30 until 11. I'd much rather do that than, you know, do something halfway. And again, this comes with time and experience and these are my goals. And again, I'm in a marriage where like, we're both on board with 
this and like, you know, dual income house. So like, it's, I, I have more leeway than like a single mom. Right. Yeah. And I, I want to, you're doing it on your terms. You're doing it on your terms. Right. I think right. That's and that's the whole itchy sweater thing from the beginning, right? Like it was never that I didn't want to do the work. It's that I didn't want to have to sit and look busy. Like I want to do it in my way, even if I have to work twice as hard to get, you know, to, even if I have to work twice as hard. <laughs> all right. Let's talk about something near and dear to all of our hearts. Uh, Instagram. All right. And marketing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're doing a lot in that space, as you mentioned. You're doing right? a lot. And, and it's, uh, it's a pretty crazy world out there, right? Yeah. Ryan and I talk all the time <laughs> and, and it, we, we feel like the business world has, has changed. I mean, like with what I do, professional services, what he does, it used to be, you know, you went out, you networked, you had drinks, you had dinner, you went to conferences. And then it's kind of like you did LinkedIn and we didn't really totally know what it was. And now it's just, it's become this animal, you know, and, um, you gotta be an entertainer. Yeah. You gotta be an entertainer. And, and it's, it's really changed. I think the way that business gets done, I'm not sure, you know, some of it's kind of cool. Some of it we don't like a lot of influencers out there, a lot of opinions, a lot of pretenders, a lot of people who can build a huge following, but I'm not really sure what they do. I've seen you, we touched base briefly before the show and you said, uh, you know, look out for that. So let's get into that. You're in a business where that's, there's probably a lot of that. So fascinated to know, to learn your viewpoints and what you found works for you, what doesn't, so on. So the first year of the business, we didn't have an Instagram account. And I was like, we don't need an Instagram account. We're going to be fine, right? Like, we're, we don't need it. And I was like, what am I going to even talk about anyway? Like, what do people want to hear about this stuff? And it took me a while to understand that I do have valuable insights on things. And there are things that are worth learning. And, you know, that took, it took a lot of time to find my voice And once I found my voice and the message of the business, then it became a little bit easier to come up with content, right? And I have learned to have fun with it, but I'm able to do that because I outsource my engagement. So my VA, the quickest way for me to feel like down in the dumps and like zero energy is to scroll through my feed and comment on everyone and be like, wow, that's such an interesting point. And like, ooh, so <laughs> inspirational. And You're so oh, familiar. Wow. Good job. Absolutely. Like, oh my God. It's just like, it can be really depressing, especially because like I follow a lot of coaches and the coaches are like, here's how I made X dollars in X days. And here's how to get X followers in this amount of time. And that is such Bull. It's just like all a lie and completely ignoring their natural skill set and like the things that they can uniquely do that is not a cookie cutter thing that's teachable. So, my strategy towards Instagram is to protect myself from the things that make me feel like down and tired and bad and to embrace the things that make me feel good, which I think makes me better at Instagram, right? So, it takes like making the reels is a lot of work, but like once I get started on them, like if I can find a way to be silly and have fun with them, which I do, I do no serious reels, then it's like 
I don't know. It's kind of, it's enjoyable. I think that if I could have some of the mental space to do some, some more engagement, it would probably pay off more for my business. But even my VA hates doing it. It's just not, it's a but bad thing. You said you were able to do this once you found your voice. Mm-hmm. Is that, can you elaborate a little bit more there? Was it a particular messaging and what was the light bulb moment? And then how did it parlay into, okay, I've got my voice. Now this is the theme I can run with or. Well, without a voice, there's no content, right? If you're like a jewelry brand, nobody wants to see just like pictures of your jewelry. Like that's really boring. That's like looking through a catalog. If I want to see your catalog, I'll go to your catalog. On Instagram, they want to know the story of the jewelry. Like who are you and why should I care about your jewelry and how are you styling it and all of this stuff. So in the beginning, I'm like, okay, I guess here are some pictures of some things that we designed. Not that interesting. And then I, as I was doing sales calls, actually, I was like, wait, like printing in bulk is crap. And here's why. And then I was like, oh, wait, I have an idea. And then I could take that. And that became like a talking point. And then as you know, I started talking to more and more and more and more people, now hundreds of people you know, I hear the questions that come up. I see the things that light people up when I say them about, and it's like, oh, that's a good idea. That's resonating with people. That is what's working. These are the things that we need to communicate. And then now we've been running this business almost four years. So I have, I mean, I'm taking sometimes like five, six calls a day, every business day. So I have a lot of data points. And so I know what's working with people. And so I can take that and translate that into. Instagram. Now, obviously I don't have all the answers. Like we still don't have a huge following, but the, I think that what, what we are doing and the people that are watching what we're doing, it's really resonating with them and it's communicating our brand really well. For sure. So along those lines, what do you focus on when it comes to social? Is there a KPI or something you're reading to say, yep, as long as the uh, chart is here, that means it's successful. Or is it at the end of the day, just the number of meetings you're getting from it? What, what are you measuring to say the message is successful? So it's really hard to look at Instagram metrics. It's really, really hard to do so because the algorithm changes all the time. So there was a time when I was getting like 6,000 views on every reel that I was doing, like one to 6,000. Now my reels are getting, you know, like 200 to 300 views. And like, there was a while where that would just like knock me out. Like, I would just be like, well, screw this. Like, just go and have some ice cream. You know, like I'm not (laughs) really like, just take a break. It would make me feel really bad. And I've seen enough of influencers who I trust. And also in my own experience to know that like, Instagram is a for-profit company that is changing their algorithm and their metrics constantly. And so the only thing you can do is not the only thing you can do. I'm sure there are experts who really do have their finger on the pulse of these things. And it's like, jump on threads right away. And like, you know, make sure your text is here and not there or whatever. You basically have to do that. That would have to be your job, right? Exactly. But it is job, right? 100%. 100%. So for me, I look at like, is it a good reel? Like I know I'm on Instagram enough, like for fun that I know what a good reel looks like. And I know if I've done well with it and it's not necessarily reflected in likes and comments. And like this summer we've had less engagement 
And it's like, guess what? It's summer. People are outside. And you know what? Good for them, right? Like I can't, there's so little that you can control in the world of content that like, I mean, this is probably heretical, but like I go on feeling with these things. Like I feel like we're doing a good job. Or I also like when I'm on sales calls with people, people will say like, oh, wow, your reels are amazing. And I'm like, oh, you're watching them. You know, like, and then I realized like people are seeing these, like most people I meet in my life are like, oh yeah, I've seen you on Instagram. And it's like, okay, the numbers don't feel like they're reflecting that, but they must be right. Like Pat, you and I connected on social media. Like we, our paths were not going to cross otherwise. And it's because I'm, you're not going to reach the finish line if you don't like participate in the race, but like, you definitely don't need to be the fastest person or the person in the fanciest gear. You just need to like show up and do it and show up in a way that like feels right to you. So is Instagram your primary method of marketing or there, do you have more kind of old school conventional things that you do? What's the whole marketing picture look like? So we do two things for marketing, which is, as I say, and I'm like, oh God, only two, but we do them really well. One is I am all over women's networking groups. Like I am super active in like a number of different networking groups that I pay to be a member of. And I do that because I really enjoy it and it's a natural skill for me and it's really effective. So like a lot of our business comes in through those networking groups, either people I've gotten to know are recommending me to other people or the people who I get to know are hiring us directly. And then the other piece, which I think reinforces the first piece and vice versa is social media. So we're really active on Instagram. We're really active on LinkedIn. And to me, those are also just like networking groups, right? Like, am I making authentic connections with people? Am I commenting on things that that makes sense? And like, so for example, when someone follows us, I'll click to see who they are. And if they're someone who I think could hire us, I leave them a voice note. And I'll say like, Hey, I noticed like X, Y, Z about your content. Like if you've ever thought about a merch line or a swag line, you know, please let me know. And then like, it works a lot of the time. And it's like people who ignore that. It's like, these people are walking into your store. Are you not going to greet them? (laughs) Are you going to try to, and like these automatic responses. I mean, look, if we get to the point where we have like hundreds of thousands of followers, I probably can't do that, but I would try. Or I would have a team of people who are trying to do that. And it's like any time that you can prove that you're not a robot, like any automatic reply, I'm like, get out of here with this. I just hate it. <laughs> people don't and want that. It goes that. back to the relationship building aspect you brought up earlier. That's really interesting. So in any industry, there's going to be competition. What are you doing that you feel sets you apart from your competition? I mean. I can guess, I mean, from our conversation, I can kind of point out a few, but what do you envision is your true differentiation? So there are not, I haven't met a competitor that's doing exactly what we do. There are a million people who are doing merchandise and there are a million people who are doing print on demand, but no one's doing exactly what we're doing, which is doing all of the design and setup of a print on demand store with people who are really trying to understand your business. So. I think that people are drawn to our design, our our taste in design, and the fact that we are really trying to help other businesses grow, right? Like there's a personal piece that's really big there. And then 
it's like, it's really all about the relationships and trying to be like genuine and, and authentic in them. And I feel like you're also offering something again, completely different from what the industry has traditionally brought right to their customer base, being very thoughtful about it. And I, I, I can't, you know, I'm just focused on that point of like, you, you saw something in this industry to say, I can do it better or we're missing the boat on the purpose of why you're buying said merchandise. That's been impressive. What do you think the evolution of this industry is going to look like, you know, in the next five years? Well, one thing that's really interesting is that I think people are starting to become really aware of the waste in the industry and how unsustainable it is. So I see news articles all the time, you know, these, you know, this company or that university is no longer printing like lanyards or they're not giving out keychains, but there's still a lot of steps until they get to the point where like everything is print on demand or they're printing, you know, it's just, yeah, the temptation is so high for companies, especially if they have a lot of money to be like, yeah, let's just like give everyone a tote bag. Banks especially are really bad at this. Like, you know, a bag that says chase on it is not creating any kind of meaning, but like they just have so much money that it doesn't matter. So where's the industry moving? I think that like younger generations in particular are really turned off by excess waste. Like in a way, I feel like as you're looking at younger people, like the disgust towards like excess packaging, excess shipping, just like overdone gifts and like gift boxes is going to force companies to change the way that they do things. That's my hope. Yeah. That's interesting. So you talked about, you've kind of created this a lifestyle business. I don't mean that in a, you know, you, I'm sure you work your butt off, but you've, you've put together a business that you can shut it off a little bit and you don't, you're just kind of taking it, sustained growth step by step, building the life that you that you want. I think I know the answer to this, but I want, we want to hear from you. What do you do to kind of detach? We know you're big into fitness. We know that you did, I think you ran from through Montana and Wyoming. <laughs> Let's get into that. Yes. I'm really, really passionate about fitness. And my husband and I just biked from Bozeman, Montana to Jacksonville through Yellowstone. <laughs> wow. And that was seven days, right? Seven days of biking, 275 miles. Wow. Everything on everything we had with us was on the bikes. We did stay in hotels though. My husband likes to say that I'll, I'll bike as far as possible. I'll bike all day long, but I'll never camp. And that is true. Like I draw the line at like, I need a bed, a real bed to sleep in at night, but I'll, I'll work all day. But yeah, I just love it. I love swimming, running, biking, yoga, just all of that. It's, it just brings me a lot of peace and joy. And, and I love, I really do love being with my kids. I'm sure that a lot of people are rolling their eyes right now. How old are your kids? They're nine right and now. 11. Nine and 11. Okay. And I think, I don't know, I've done a lot of work on myself to like, you know, sort of be able to clear my mind and focus and be present. And I'm, enjoying the rewards of it, to be honest. And I, I feel like I'm in a really good place right now. And, you know, for people who are listening, like I was not always in a good place. Like it's been a long road and I've learned to like, when it's good, enjoy it, like really enjoy it. Don't apologize. Just live it as big as you can. Cause like, you know, there's always going to be ups and downs. And so, uh, yeah. I feel like Brian could use a life coach right now. And I, I just, I'm feeling this, 
life coach sort of if if the you know you decide to move on from go to market i and you you uh-huh. emanate that so so you want to bike so, through montana yeah. brian i, I love it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well listen this has been really really awesome really appreciate you your willingness to be a mafiosa and uh come on the show you know a lot of folks who listen to the show we talked about offline many shows out there rainbows and sunshine right and and we appreciate your transparency talking through the climb what hasn't worked what's worked for anyone listening what's the one it could be more than one but what's the one piece of advice you would give them if they're just just starting out in their careers yeah so when i was running my first company i had a lot of people come to me and say you know how do i build what is the secret to getting to where you are now. Cause by then I had a big list. I was running all of these events and people would look at me and say like, wow, how did you do it? And it's, you know, they're looking for a secret. They're looking for an answer. And I think a lot of people on Instagram and LinkedIn will also claim that they have the answers. Here's how you get the followers. Here's, here's how you get the money, but there really is only one answer. And that is hustle. You got to hustle. You got to work hard. And there, there's no other cheat. If there were, we'd all know it, right? Like everyone has these, like these ideas and, and advice, but really it's just hard work. You have to be willing to work really hard, really consistently show up every day and work when it's not going well. So I would say the, my advice is there's no secret. It's just hard work. That's perfect advice. (laughs) So Amanda, this has been awesome. Um, we'll so be glad. we'll be screaming and cheering for you, and uh, we you. you know you'll be our consultant as we as we try to figure out what's the right and the and the wrong swag as we hopefully oh please take this this I show to so the next to do that to the that. next level. So as we kind of uh, sign off here, um, so Amanda, Biz Mafia is what where business gets made. <laughs> there you That's go. Right. Thanks, Thanks so Amanda. much. You've successfully whacked another episode of the Biz Mafia podcast. Familia, remember, loyalty is everything. Join us next round as we continue our journey through the syndicate of success. Leave us your comments and be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple, or other podcast outlets. Stay sharp and always keep it in the family. And remember, Biz Mafia is where business gets made.